All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. Today, Wednesday, March 18th, we're bringing you a special edition of the Actus podcast, our biweekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Coronavirus Update. Uh, I want to thank, first of all, our audience uh, for joining us for this um, a little bit off-schedule show. Uh, this is a time of uh, national uncertainty and emergency, and uh, on behalf of an association dedicated to serving the healthcare community, I did want to thank all of our frontline responders and clinicians who right now are working to save lives in the midst of a pandemic. So today's show is sponsored by 3M Health Information Systems. 3M Health Information Systems, now with M-Modal, delivers innovative software and consulting services designed for a wide range of healthcare environments, from closing the loop between clinical care and revenue integrity to computer-assisted coding Clinical documentation integrity and performance monitoring, 3M can help you reduce cost and provide more informed care. All right. So I'm joined today by my co-host at left, Laurie Prescott. Uh, Laurie is the CDI Education Director for HC Pro uh, and Actus in Middleton, Massachusetts. Laurie is the lead developer and instructor for our CDI bootcamp line. She's also a subject matter expert for Actus, a member of our CCDO exam certification committee and the Actus advisory board. And welcome to the program, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, so as you can see by your screen today, we have uh, a larger number of guests on the program than usual. I wanted to give a, a good cross section of folks working across the country in CDI departments. Uh, in, the, in the midst of the uh, the corona, coronavirus outbreak. So I'm going to go and go ahead and introduce them one by one. We have with us today uh, Kerry Seekercher. Kerry is the Director of Clinical Documentation Improvement for Northern Westchester Hospital, which is part of the Northwell Health System, and she's located in Mount, Kis uh, Mount Kisco, New York. Welcome to the program, Kerry. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. We also have with us Julie Foley. Uh, Julie is the Director of Documentation Excellence for Oshner Health System in New Orleans, Louisiana. Welcome, Julie. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be here. Okay. Uh, also here joining us today is Michelle Knuckles. Uh, Michelle is the Manager of Inpatient Coding and Clinical Documentation Integrity for University of Utah Health in Salt Lake City. Uh, Michelle let us know earlier, and I did see on the news that uh, Utah has been also hit with an earthquake today. So Michelle is joining us through uh, two, two ongoing crises, and I really want to thank her for taking the time to be on the program today. Thanks, Brian. It's my pleasure. Okay. And, uh, and last with us today is Julie Solomon. Uh, Julie is a 360E Chief Product Owner at 3M Consulting Services, involved in the development of 360E CDI Quality and Physician Solutions. So, uh, Julie, welcome as well. 
Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So typically in this point in the program for regular listeners of the podcast, you probably know that I would introduce our audience poll. Um, because we have had some technical issues, COVID-19 has hit everyone, including technical platforms. We had a, a glitch in our earlier show. We're re-recording today's show. Uh, however, we did get the poll results, um, and I'll be happy to share those after our interview. We're asking folks how the coronavirus had impacted their day-to-day -day CDI operations. Uh, we had more than 700 dialed into our show earlier, and the one thing we did manage to get right was we got the poll <laughs> results in and captured. So I'm going to sh share those uh, after our discussion today on uh, on the coronavirus and its impact on CDI. But um, we'll, we'll get into those in just a bit. Um, let's go ahead and jump right into our topic of discussion. As I mentioned, you can see we have a panel of CDI leaders on today's program. Uh, these guys were communicating quite a bit over email. We, have, we had a nice email chain going with a lot of uh, leaders and directors of CDI from around the country. And um, these, these three had some interesting things to say about where they are with, uh, with COVID-19 and how it's impacted their operations. That's what we're gonna talk about today. We're, we're not gonna talk so much about what this virus is you know, clinically. We'll, we'll save that for a later show. Probably won't touch on the coding implications yet. We will get to that. But what we're gonna talk about today is sort of the, the immediate day-to-day -day impact on processes. Um, actually, before we do that though, I would like to just, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm concerned with all of our members and their health and that, and that of your staff. So um, maybe I'll start with uh, with Julie Foley here and kind of work left to right on the screen. But uh, Julie, have, have you, are you guys seeing an increase in COVID-19 patients uh, at Oshner or has anyone, hopefully not on your staff, been adversely impacted by the, by the, uh, the, the issues of today? Sure, Brian. Most definitely we are seeing patients within the hospital. Um, this, we, we actually saw a rise in uh, just pneumonia in general admissions. And then of course, recently um, uh, we were seeing the diagnosis. I'm happy to say that our staff have been, um, are doing well. Um, I did learn myself that yesterday, as a matter of fact, that an elderly person that I had uh, indirect contact with over the weekend uh, was diagnosed um, yesterday with positive for COVID-19. So I'm currently kind of have found. Okay, some self-quarantine there. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna see more and more of that because this has been existing out in the population for quite a while. and. People are kind of getting diagnosed mm -hmm. now as tests become more widely available. Um, thanks, Julie. Carrie, how about yourself? How, how has this been impacting your um, hospital? Feeling fortunate to report that my family and team are all healthy and doing well. We are definitely a hot spot in New York, about 20 minutes north of New Rochelle, which has been in the news. Uh, we anticipate the number of COVID cases to climb in the coming weeks. Uh, our local community is really at this point open for essential business only. Restaurants, gyms, and the, most of our stores have been closed. 
Um, but that said, our system has been preparing and we are definitely ready to support our community and teams through this crisis. That's great. I know New York has been very hard hit. Um, and it's, a, it's a pretty widespread state, diverse state, so I wasn't sure if it had reached where you guys are yet. Okay, and uh, Michelle, how about yourself in, in, out in Utah? Yeah, so um, as of today, we have 41 confirmed cases in the state uh, with um, 146 case uh, current orders pending uh, for confirmation. Um, in our facility uh, at Utah Health, uh, yesterday we had four inpatient cases, which fortunately today uh, dropped down to two. We were able to discharge a couple of people. Um, we have 38 inpatient orders pending for confirmation. Okay. Interesting. And and uh, and and Julie Solomon, if anything you're hearing from clients, or you know, you've got a broader perspective than probably all of us here uh, on behalf of 3M. Well, you know, for sure, our customers that are in various different hot spots are reporting all hands on deck. A couple interesting things I've heard out in California, the um, CDI staff is um, getting involved in how they can support frontline staff. So it may be that out there they see their, their positions where they might have to step in and provide support to the frontline caregivers. Mm. And I've heard that from a couple other customers as well. Yeah, starting to hear a little bit of that, absolutely. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that myself when um you know when especially that saying all hands on deck. Um that's what I'm hearing from a num a number of individuals. So you you ladies as managers and leaders in, in CDI, um, you know, I'm I'm curious over the past week or so how things have changed for you and your staff. Um have you been functioning in remote prior to this, or have you moved your staff to entirely remote? You know, where where are you in that process, and how was that decision decision made? Um, you know, does that mean you've had some technological issues, um, just like we had today with this platform? Just setting up a workstation at home can be an issue. Um, Julie Foley, would you like to start? Sure. Um, I'm Approximately, actually, five years ago, our team moved to um, having the majority of our staff as remote workers with a few identified as what we call leads within the facilities, those that wanted to be on site and would engage more with grounding or informal education with, with providers on an as-need basis. So the transition to then um, recently telling all of our staff to remain um, to work at home was an easy transition for us. Um, our, our system leadership did ask us last week um, for all of revenue cycle, all of IS to test the bandwidth um, of our VPN access. And so we all began um, working 100% um, those teams on Friday. Um, we have not really experienced um, connectivity issues. We had maybe a, a few little minor blips um, early Friday morning, but um, for us, um, it has not been a, a, a big change. Well, good. Smooth going for Oshner. Mm -hmm. How about you, Carrie? 
Hi, Lori. So last week on Monday, my team was working on site in a hybrid model with staff working one to two days from home and then the rest on site with the exception of one employee who works 100% remote all year. By Tuesday, we were decanted off site to work home 100% uh, with a plan to do so until at least the end of April. In general, our organization is pushing up all, all of our teams to look at a work from home model right now, if at all possible. Um, but for CDI, this was not a challenge because we already had the equipment and the access to do so. So it's been pretty smooth. Good. That takes the stress out of it a little. Michelle? Yeah, so fortunately for Utah, um, we're in kind of a similar situation as Julie with Oshner. Our workforce has been uh, working remotely for the past several years and is actually located throughout the, the nation. Um, but even our Salt Lake City-based staff uh, will work from home most of the time, so it was very easy for us to ramp up to 100% remote. Um, just a few considerations um, for, for people, but we were able to easily manage those. Good. Have you noticed any different trends, Julie? Solomon. Yeah, just similar to what we're hearing here. And, you know, we, I, I do know that there are many customers who already are remote, um, like Michelle and Julie. And for others, it's a matter of maybe relocation. I know for some of the customers that are on site still, um, they did relocate staff, you know, away from the hospital to trailers if they were hospital-based. Right. And now I would assume they're all at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one question we've been getting quite a lot is just, um, you know, and, and a lot of you guys had already had at least partially remote programs, which is which is great. There are some that uh, had been wholly on site uh, that now are having to transition in a hurry to remote. Um, curious, just in general, what you put in place for staying in touch with teams. You do scheduled calls, um, you know, conference calls, or maybe using video conferencing, instant messaging, Slack, Skype, those type of things, and, and, and any challenges. You know, one of the things I think that's different about this, this, uh, this crisis and, what, and the, the forced work from home is that, you know, I'm hearing is that children are also home now. You know, obviously the schools are canceled. I can say that for my two teenage daughters, they're both home now. Um, I imagine it's a little bit different than a typical remote situation. So just wondering how you guys are, are kind of navigating this. Again, we'll, we'll start with, with Julie Foley again. Well, um, Brian, we certainly did have to um, be a little um, lenient on the work from home policy. Our, our, our actual policy indicates that it's not a replacement for childcare, but we understand that this is a um, we did offer flex scheduling, maybe for someone who did have um, a child at home. Maybe they needed to work later in the in the evening, and um, and that has worked really well for um, all of our teams. Um, as you mentioned, we do have the technology. We have Skype. We have WebEx, and those are the ways we um, communicate often via email. Uh, I know people love IM. Um, Oh, technology is great when it works. Of course, mm -hmm. like anything, uh, there's blibs uh, <laughs> that yeah, happen. And they've done that. But thanks, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Kerry, any, any thoughts there on, on this? Yeah, so I have currently a daily checkpoint call that I schedule with my team through Microsoft Teams. Um, just trying to remember the little things like saying good morning, uh, saying good night, like we would do as if we were in the office and I try to accomplish this either through a call, I have a smaller team so I'm able to do that, or through email. Um, and I just think as leaders right now, it's so important for us to make sure that we do stay connected with our teams and offer up support right. about That's this right now. And we need to send this message over and over again that we will get through this. We will at some point get to the other side of this. Um, I think in challenges, if I'm being honest, it's being okay with taking a minute, a few minutes, a few days to settle into a new rhythm and routine for some of us that aren't used to working from home and having the hustle of meetings and now being at home and allowing our teams um, the opportunity to do the same. Uh, I think that the key here is flexibility. Um, this is definitely not the time to be critical when we hear uh, dog barking in the background on a call. This is a season where there's, as someone else said, there's no school, there is no backup childcare. And so we have to do our best to be supportive, to be creative and find ways to work around this together and let our teams know that we're gonna partner with them to get through this. Right, I know, and there's the added burden of, you know, like I, I, I have two parents in their 70s and and uh, you know, one of whom has some underlying health conditions is some, not someone you'd want to have this, um, you know, this virus. So um, some of those situations going to crop up. And I like your statements about about um, you know just being cognizant of that with your staff. Michelle, how about yourself? Thank you. Yeah. So I I echo um, her remarks. I think communication. Communication, communication, communication is the key. We're sending out daily communication with staff. We've had to adapt our our processes, uh, make revisions to our processes a little bit daily on a daily basis. Um, we already had a pretty well-established um, process for having weekly or semi-monthly uh, phone calls. Um, we do mandate that our staff keep in touch via telephone, Skype, and IM. Uh, last year, we also launched um, an internal social networking site for our team. It's called Yammer, where they can get on and stay connected on a more personal level with one another. And that, that has gone a, a long way to kind of facilitate that, that personal connection. Um, I think some of our challenges have been, you know, technology is great until it doesn't work. Um, and you know, when you're, when you're meeting remotely, you, you don't have the ability to kind of take a pulse of the, the, the audience or the room, or, you know, you don't have that, um, you don't have your, your nonverbal communication cues. So uh, that can be a challenge, but, um, we have overall been able to, uh, make, make it very successful, um, with our, our weekly, uh, remote meetings yep. and people are pretty engaged. Great. And Julie, yourself, you know, I mean, 3M is a is a large organization. You guys are a part of a lot of healthcare systems, your technology, your people. Uh, just curious how you guys are handling this. Um, I know your home base is Salt Lake City, but you're you're everywhere. Uh, is does 3M yeah. have work from home um, <laughs> policy now? Yes, everyone is. 
yeah, everyone is is working from home. In fact, um, you know, all travel has been restricted um, so that, you know, folks don't feel like they have to, you know, travel. Um, we certainly don't want to burden, you know, our customers. Everybody's pretty busy with heads down. We're really trying to figure out how we can best support and provide, you know, maybe some technological solutions or even just, you know, other needed support um, that our customers are, are um, needing help with right now. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the whole thing of making sure you're communicating effectively is it's difficult when your staff is dispersed and they're not within your sight lines and, and working together. You know, how about other CDI processes, um, you know, we've talked about the stress of the coronavirus, um, you know, the national state of emergency that we're in, understanding that the uh, frontline medical staff is, if not already, will be, we anticipate, pretty overwhelmed with um, the patients and the care and the demands. Um, a normal flu season can throw our physicians into stress. How, you know, how are you changing your, or are you changing your expectations related to things like physician response rates or um, the number of queries you're placing or communicating with physicians? Are you, are you finding that you have to adapt that process or do you anticipate that you may need to adapt that process as, as this progresses? We'll continue the same pattern. We'll start with you, Julie. Um, well, right now we're just taking things kind of day by day. Um, we have not, um, you know, discussed holding back on, on queries at, at this moment. We are working very closely with coding team to make, make sure that we're consistent. Um, if there's any questions related to um, coronavirus on, on the record. Um, um, so we'll just have to continue to evaluate that. Mm -hmm. Moving on to Carrie. So our current state is that we are continuing uh, to query no real change in our process, um, apart from whereas we utilize daily rounds as uh, a great way to communicate our queries face-to-face. -face. We're now 100% electronic uh, via email, and we also use a messaging system. I anticipate that we may see a decrease in our query volume as our census has kind of dropped with cancellations of electives and things of that nature. Um, I think with our providers, we have to offer them the same flexibility um, and revisit processes and, and even escalation as the, as the situation continues to unfold. So as Julie said, kind of day by day um, with the understanding that we may need to modify our existing processes mm -hmm. as the demands on our providers increase. Yeah. The hard part is the unknown, right? How about mm -hmm. you, Michelle? Exactly. Yeah, Lori, actually, um, my response to the survey was that it, this coronavirus has definitely impacted our operations. Um, on Saturday, we were asked to temporarily pause sending any queries to our providers, uh, hold off on all query escalation on pending queries, uh, other educational activity, et cetera. Um, I, I did have the staff go ahead on Monday and Tuesday and actually create the queries they identified were needed and queue them up. 
Um, but we have been holding them in the queue, not releasing them because our, our providers want to be able to focus 100% on patient care. Um, as things, as, as they're feeling more prepared, they told us we could go ahead and, and start releasing those and proceed with sending the most critical queries. Um, I sent that communication to my team this morning prior to the earthquake, so I've uh, been checking my email frequently to see if they're going to ask me to pull back again, but so far, so good. Um, so definitely, uh, we've had a, a, a big impact to our operations in CDI. Um, now we're in, we're being asked to hold all of our inpatient claims with COVID uh, confirmed cases, as, as another panelist mentioned earlier. Right. And why can can I ask why you're why what is the purpose of holding the the COVID records for billing? Is it to make sure that the codes are assigned properly, waiting for the proper codes to assign? Yes, I think they were. Um, I think there are a couple of reasons. Um, number one, I, I I think we're wanting to build these out with the code that's coming out on April first. Um, mm -hmm. They're also wanting to make sure that um, that any possible um, costs for testing and things like that are are not charged to patients. Um, now it's a little bit different on the outpatient side than the inpatient right. side, but. Um, also making sure that we have our solid um, just revenue cycle processes in place. And also, I think they're trying to make sure we identify these cases for any um, state or federal funding that may be uh, available for, mm -hmm. for this emergency response. That makes sense. Thank you. Julie, um, Solomon, have you have you noticed um, with your clients any changes in processes, um, you know, much like what Michelle is describing, or are you seeing any other different patterns? Um, no, I think, um, you know, based on what the group is, has stated they're doing, that we see that variation across our customer base. Um, I have heard similar um, comments like Michelle's that, Things are being held on on the coding side, the billing side, to wait to see what funds might be available, and um, to also get the more specific um, COVID-19 code, um, so that you know you can you can determine what was just you know a, a coronavirus previous and what is specifically this one. Yeah, thank you. That's helpful. Yeah, we had. Uh... A, a caller, uh, excuse me, a listener, send a similar question to the one you answered, uh, all of you just now, but especially you, Michelle, regarding, um, you know, what, what would an escalation look like in these times? They felt embarrassed nudging providers to take care of documentation, as important as it is, but just that, you know, if, if it does become a crisis, I imagine things could change or will change. But um, I guess being aware at this stage is just the most important part. Um, one other thing I did want to ask, I, I know this, you know, uh, many of our CDI departments are, are staffed by nurses, not exclusively. We have, you know, coding professionals as well. Um, we also do, though, have some physicians that are still practicing clinically. They might be serving in a, in a physician advisor role. Have you guys had any inkling or any any possible discussion about CDI staff being on standby to help uh, with the patient care, but potential crisis here. 
you know, maybe not directly, but indirectly. Uh, there was someone on the email thread that was potentially, you know, um, entering, helping to help enter orders into the EMR. Um, I don't know if this was been any discussion. Brian. It was you, Julie. Okay, I thought it might have been. It was and, Julie Foley, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that. Sure. Um, so in our uh, leadership call uh, last Thursday, the call went out to um, ask corporate um, divisions if they could offer assistance in any way. Um, certainly one of the questions was, um, could our nurses assist um, to back up employee health with the temperature screenings um, of employees? Um, and that's right now that's being done on a small scale um, in, in our co corporate offices, utilizing uh, some of the leadership staff, not our nurses yet. But all um, the CDI nurses that did volunteer to assist um, would then do um, order entry, for example, of those um, employees that had a temperature reading of 101.4, the person taking the temperature would then email a central email location and the CDI nurses were trained to do order entry as a support. Um, we did look into maybe assisting registration teams with any um, authorization that um, needed to be obtained. Um, so essentially just any kind of back-end support that we can offer those that are on the front line. That's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Um... Pretty admirable, Julie, if, and um, let us know how that how that progresses as it goes along. I don't know if anybody else had any of this uh, type of experience or, or plan backup plans in place, Carrie, Michelle, or if you've heard any of this, Julie. Uh, this is Carrie. Uh, our CDI team about a week ago was asked to assist with calls coming into a COVID information line. So. Um, we were partnering with about eight other nurses to answer calls uh, during the day between 8 and 4 p.m. And uh, we're all nurses on our team. So it's just been a really nice way to jump in, offer our clinical expertise, and also just to be able to help support our community by answering their questions, by being able to be uh, someone that would answer the phone. I, what we're hearing in our community is that so many of the lines, the hotlines that are set up, nobody answers, nobody calls back. And so there's just this um, overwhelming appreciation from our community that somebody's taking these calls and helping to answer questions and alleviate fears. Thank you. Okay. You know, at this point, um, actually, I'm, I'm going to work in just a, an, an update. So, um, a moment here share the screen we have uh, as you as our listeners probably know we have an actus regulatory committee who uh, whose job has been to kind of monitor regulations things like coding clinic clinical changes um, ICD-10 CM updates uh, there, there is some news to share uh, and it was just alluded to on the call earlier there is a new code coming uh, for COVID-19, it will be U07.1, and I'm told that will be uh, uh, effective as of April 1st. It's actually um, on, a, on a fast track for implementation. 
Um, I'm told it's not intended to be used as a secondary code, but will be used as a principal diagnosis. Again, U07.1 uh, will be available for use as of April 1st. We'll be putting out some more guidance on, on the coding implications of COVID-19, as well as some of the clinical presentation and that type of thing uh, in, in the coming days and weeks. But just wanted to share that with everyone. Um, also wanted to mention our poll results. So again, a little different on today's show because we had that, that uh, technical glitch earlier, but we were able to ask our audience, how has the coronavirus slash COVID-19 impacted your day-to-day -day operations. We had uh, about 700 listeners on our prior show and they all weighed in with their responses. So we, we uh, the, the options were, uh, they were had a significant impact, meaning they've changed workflows or query expectations, uh, somewhat of an impact, CDI staff working from home, meetings reduced, et cetera, uh, minimal or no impact, not applicable or other. So our results were 16% of our listeners reported a significant impact. They had they had some changes in workflows, they had changes in query expectations. 63% uh, our largest bucket about two thirds reported that they had somewhat of an impact, uh, meaning CDI staff were now working from home or there were reduction in face-to-face -face meetings. 16% said minimal or no impact. 4% not applicable. Um, not everyone uh, works in acute care settings who listens to this program. And 2% said other. So just curious, I'll, I'll just float this out to our panel. Any any comments on the poll results? 16% uh, significant, 63% somewhat. So majority have had some type of impact, almost 80%. Probably about what, what we'd expect from... Uh, just Brian, this is Michelle. Go ahead, Michelle. While I'm, I'm sorry, other I, while I'm sorry, others are having so many issues. Um, it is reassuring to know that I, I'm not alone, and and I truly appreciated the response from from active peers over the weekend as um, I was kind of scrambling to come up with an unprecedented plan to stop all of our query activities. So, uh, I just want to uh, say kudos to the people in this profession for sticking together. Right. That's nice. Yeah, very nice. Let me just wrap up with a couple of items here. Uh, just a brief Actus update. Um, first of all, I know many folks are asking about the conference, and rightly so. Um, as of today, the, the, the program remains on, and I realize that this is a time of extreme uncertainty and a lot of folks not wishing to travel and many travel restrictions. So we are speaking uh, with the Mirage Hotel about the efficacy of continuing this, pro this conference. Um, we are going to have information very soon by the end of this week, I believe, on whether this program can continue. It, again, it is on right now, but um, this is a changing situation. I appreciate people's patience with this as we work through uh, the, the future of the 2020 ACTUS conference. Um, also wanted to remind folks that our ACTUS advisory board voting is presently open. You should be seeing on my screen here um, some information about how to vote in the election. It's pretty easy. Uh, we have six applicants, six finalists, excuse me, for four open slots on the board. 
So if you navigate to actus.org, this is right on the top of our of our homepage, you will find uh, this article. Um, if you're a member, you have to be a member because you're representing our membership as a member of the advisory board and you're logged into the website. You just uh, click here to vote and it pulls up our voting page. So you can scroll through all six of our candidates for these slots and then at the bottom of the page you will find um, you check four it only allows you to check up to four and you hit press vote it's as easy as that so this is these are uh, it's an important role in our association the actus advisory board they provide leadership a lot of the great position papers you ha you have read have been written by the actus advisory board our quarterly conference calls so uh, please do take just a few moments to read through their candidate bios and select uh, the four you think would best represent um, the membership by serving on the ACTUS Advisory Board. Okay, well that is going to do it for today's edition of the ACTUS podcast. Um, we're going to be back here in just actually a little bit less than a week. Our next scheduled show was next Tuesday, April 24th. It will be on AMI Algorithm and Adjudication, CDI Focus for Quality Impact. Again, today was a special episode, so we appreciate your joining. I want to, again, thank 3M Health Information Systems for their support of today's show. As always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, you can send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. Just want to conclude with a final statement to stay healthy and safe. We're thinking of CDI professionals everywhere today and, of course, our frontline caregivers, and uh, we'll all get through this together. We'll see you soon, everyone. Thanks, Brian. Thank, Thank you, Brian. You. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you.